thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's different. Um, <laughs> I said, uh, a couple of people, I said, it's a bit like coming out, the first time I've been back for about 30 months, and it's a bit like kind of deep sea diving, and then you just, you know, you're supposed to come up the stage, isn't it? And I just feel like I've just kind of shut up. I've just suddenly arrived back in the UK, and I'm just, so I'm a bit of an out there boy with a bends this morning, so um, <laughs> if it comes out like that, that's why. Um, on a serious note, I just want to say thank you. Um, I look around, most of you, I just do not know you, and you will know more about us, I guess, through prayer letters and things. And it's just a, a privilege, really, to be a part of a church, most of whom I do not know, and yet many of whom know us and pray for us and carry us in your heart. And quite seriously, I'm chatting, Natalie saying, oh, how's the house thing? We're all praying for you. I'm thinking, Natalie, I haven't... I've never thought about you, you know. <laughs> just, no, thanks. I've not thought about anybody. It's not just you now. thought about everybody. But, um, but it's, it's genuinely a privilege to be carried so far for a person. <laughs> oh, so, but quite genuinely, um, thank you. On behalf of fair, we, we feel very blessed and very, um, very loved. Um, you, you know the programme Grand Designs? Know that? Yeah. Appeals to the people of my age. I didn't know if you guys had even heard about it, actually. There are a bunch of people with a load of money who want to build something great. And, um, and for many, there's this kind of, you know, they've kind of lived with it all their life and they've got enough tucked away. Usually it's quite a lot. And, um, and they've got this grand design, this grand dream of a house, this dream home that's going to transform them forever. And, uh, and, you know, it's capital. I quite like it. I, I like it a lot. So it's all quite you know, creative and there's all this stuff going in. And it's this huge thing that just kind of emerges out of a grass field. And there's part of it I just am drawn to. I think that's fantastic. You know, especially if they're like, they ain't got so much dough near an older couple. I saw one and there was a 65-year-old woman digging out footings. I mean, she was so into getting this house. You know, she's digging out footings and laying a concrete floor. I'm thinking, man, that's great. And then, and then there's a sadness about it because they finish. And I can be, I'm into all the building thing. Oh, that's great. You know, that's cool. And then they finish. I think, what are you doing now? You know, and, uh, you know, and I guess there'll come a time where the friends who come around are amazed by it. Well, they'll stop coming. And uh, I guess they'll die. And, 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 they, and they, you know, and eventually, you know, I think, what are you going to do now? You know, you'll, you'll redecorate, but it's not quite the same as building, is it? Those are your internet redecorating is a bit of a pain. Building's exciting. And it's, and there's a kind of, it's tainted a little bit. And, um, and this talk this morning is called What's Your Grand Design? And, um, and I'm going to take you through <laughs> 100 years of Old Testament history. All right, we're going to have a little nibble in Jeremiah 29. We're going to have a main course in Ezra, four chapters. We're going to have cheese and biscuits with Haggai, chapter one. Okay? <laughs> that's, the, that's the idea. That's what I'm trying to do. So, <laughs> so that's the idea. And what is your grand design? I guess is the, is the heart of it, really, for want of a better title. Around 600 BC. Uh, two world powers, you've got, um, um, you've got Babylon to North Egypt to the south, you've got Judah and Jerusalem in the middle, and there's this kind of contest for power, and, um, and Babylon come out strong, and uh, they overwhelm Egypt, and they come into uh, Jerusalem, they, they take over Jerusalem um, from around, uh, during the reign of the last uh, five kings from 640 BC down to about 600. Um, all this time, Jeremiah is prophesying to this people, now listen, Return. God is saying to this people, this whole world power thing is going on, and God is saying, listen up, return to me, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I won't look on you in anger, for I am merciful. Only acknowledge your guilt. Jeremiah 3, uh, verse 12, you find that there. So in this kind of power thing going on in the, in the nations, this political thing going on, 
God is saying, now come on people, return to me. Um, and they don't. And, uh, and eventually Babylon, as I say, overwhelms Egypt and they come into uh, Jerusalem. Now what they do, they put in a puppet king there, a guy called Zedekiah, and he's installed by Babylon. And uh, he doesn't listen to the prophets. Jeremiah is saying this is going to be a long haul. It's going to be a long haul, this Zedekiah thing. No, it ain't. And he, um, he starts to inspire and talk about revolting and, and, and coming against uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar gets wind of this. And ten years later, he sends an army and they destroy the place. Jerusalem is destroyed, the walls are down, you know the story, the temple is torn to pieces, the, uh, the altar is broken up, all the sacred stuff, you know, the spoons and the bowls and all the rest of it, are taken into captivity. You find Nebuchadnezzar's son in Daniel 5, you know, drunk and orgies and swigging out of the, the stuff that was, you know, part of the Levitical ministry to God's people. And it's a ruin. And it's an absolute ruin. And, um, and the people never listened. And, 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 and into this context, uh, you find mainly two tribes of Judah are taken into uh, uh, exile in Babylon. And, uh, and Jeremiah is still prophesying. He writes him a letter. And he says, um, Jeremiah 29. And he writes him a letter. It's a prophetic. It's not just like, how I hate doing. It's, it's God's words to them. And um, it's a prophecy. And he gives them instruction for the next 70 years. He says, this is your grand design. This is what you're to do for the next 70 years. Uh, verse 4 to verse 7. Build houses. All right? Build houses. Plant gardens. Eat of the fruit of your garden. Marry. Have kids. You know, marry uh, within the tribe and so on. Have kids. Give your kids in marriage. Pray for the city. Be a blessing to, um, to the Babylonians. That's, what, that's, that's their vision for the next 70 years. That's what they're to do, Jeremiah says. And he goes on, he warns them again about listening to false prophets and dreamers, verse 8 and 9. Don't listen to the guys who are saying it's going to be done in a moment. Listen to what God says, and this is what you're to do. It would be a very foolish man that turned around and said, well, I'm going to go back now and build, rebuild, the, rebuild uh, the altar, rebuild the temple. Because God has said, build houses. You build your life. It's a way of preserving. There's nothing left that gives them identity. All that, that, that marked them out as God's people has been destroyed, doesn't it? The city's gone. The place where God dwelt among his people has been, has been torn apart. And so God's wisdom to this people, it's a preservation. It's a way of preserving their identity. You are my people. Do these things. They will keep you over the next 70 years. It kind of, it's kind of whispers of back into the Old Testament where you're kind of walking along the street. And say, I can't remember the verse. And talking to your kids and telling the stories to your kids as you walk along the street. I can't remember the verse. But it's, 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 it echoes of that. It's a way of preserving this people as God's people. Because there's nothing else to mark you out. It's gone. And you are living in exile. Your kings are, are dead, you know. You have a, 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 um, and that's the situation. And so to this exiled people, God gives them a vision for the next 70 years. Build your ass. That's what you're to do. Very cool. Very cool if you're Kevin MacLeod in Grand Designs. He would like that. Well, 70 years are up. Um, and we pick up the story in Ezra chapter 1. Um, Ezra and Nehemiah originally one book. And uh, they tell the story, you know, they tell the, the last, really, the last part of Israel's history at the end of the Old Testament. It's kind of in the middle of the Old Testament, but it's at the end. Um, really, it's the, it's the final sort of story of, uh, of God's dealings with his people. Um, and the people return over three stages, um, over a period of about 70 to 90 years. And the second group come back under uh, uh, Ezra. 
And in chapter 1 of Ezra, it says this, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem and rebuild the house of the Lord. Whoa, new mandate. There's something new. For 70 years, God said, build your houses, preserve, keep, retain. And then there's a new mandate through this um, Persian king. Return, build the house of the New building, new thing. Build the house of the Lord. And there's a mandate to rebuild. God has changed the political landscape. There's a guy in charge now who says, whoa, anybody who's in my kingdom, I want them to worship their own gods. I think God's, God's orchestrated this whole thing. There were 70 years of discipline under uh, Nebuchadnezzar, of God trying to win back the heart of his people. And now the political freedom has come for this people to return and build. And that is the mandate that God gives them. They have permission the freedom to do that. Chapter 2 lists all the families of the people that go back. Chapter 3, and the rebuilding of the altar and the foundation of the temple begins. Seven months. The people have been there seven months. They spent 70 years, and building houses is all they've done. They build houses and they plant. They've been back in this place for seven months. They're out of grand designs, build your home mode, and they're into build God's house. That's what they were there for seven months. They set their family, they get them sorted, and the work begins. And they, and they start to build. And they build the altar under Jeshua and Zerubbabel. Um, and then the Levites begin priestly duties. And there's cymbals crashing. And there's drums are banging. And, and all that was, uh, 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 had been abandoned, really, for 70 to 90 years. I mean, all that marked them out as different as God's people began to be restored. And the ministry of, of grace, of, of forgiveness of sins through the Levitical uh, priesthood, that was beginning to, to, to come alive again. It was a wonderful time. Celebration. Joy. Sacrifices made again on behalf of the people. We are God's people. We was living just in our houses, trying to keep it again. We just pray for the place. God, pray for peace. God, God blesses them. It will be a blessing to us. Now it's different. Has a new agenda. And as a result, they start to rebuild. And, 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 and as I say, the, the, the Levites begin their duties. The old boys, they remember what it was once like. They remember what the temple, they, they've been around before. And they're weeping away as they see what's going on. The young boys, they're just shouting with joy. That's what it says. It says the people couldn't distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with, a great sh- uh, shouted with a great shout and the sound was heard far away. They couldn't distinguish the weeping from the, from the joy. Such was the emotion and the occasion of the moment. This was terrific. It's a massively uh, important time for God's people. There's prophetic fulfilment. Jeremiah said it, 70 years and I will restore you. 70 years and I will bring you back. And he had. <laughs> he had he maneuvered nations. He changed the political landscape because God said, I will bring you back. And they had begun to work and and wonderful joy and praise and celebration. And like I say, these guys who remember what it was once like. It stirred in their heart. Wow, it's really happening. 
Really, they'd lived through 70 years of grand designs of, you know, adjusting your soft furnishings and all that. They'd done that. And, and now, wow, no wonder they wept. You know, incredible. It's a huge time. Chapter 4, as is often the way when you come through a period of success and God fulfilling his word, often the way actually, there's, a, um, there's opposition from Assyrians and Samaritans. They worship multiple gods and they got wind that there's another god being worshipped in Jerusalem. So they want to come and help. Right? So they turn up and they hear about the build in, in chapter 4 verse 1 and so they go to the leaders, Zerubbabel and, uh, and so on, and they, they, they say, we want to help you. We'll be a part of what you're doing. Very exciting. And the leaders, what well, a fantastic. They say, you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God. This is not yours to do. And they hold their ground. It's good to hear that, isn't it, in a kind of pluralistic sort of, sort of time and age. You have nothing to do with, that, with this. God has called us to this work. And, uh, and they're fantastic. They hold their ground. But the opposition builds. And it builds against the people now. Don't just stop. All right, leaders take their stand, but still the opposition comes. And it comes to the people. And they bribe officials who are, who are kind of in between sort of Cyrus and, and, and the political kind of party. And they put officials in place that frustrate the people through. They want to make decisions. And there's guys saying, well, I don't think you can be doing that. And they start to frustrate the purposes of God. That's what it says in chapter 4. They're hired to do that. And fear comes to the people. And then you have to go from verses 6 to 23, which interrupts the kind of chronology of the story, and you go to the final verse of chapter 4, in uh, uh, verse 24, to the tragic line, the tragic verse that says this, um, Then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped, and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. The work stopped. Do you know how long it stopped for? I didn't know until I looked. So I'll tell you, because you probably won't know. <laughs> it's off for 15 years. 15 years. It just stopped. There was two years. This people came back, prophetic fulfilment, celebration, great progress, and then opposition comes, frustration, administrative frustration. There's nothing that does me more than administrative frustration. It kills me. I can, honestly, I can face all sorts of big things, not all sorts, actually, so I'll t- tell you something I can't face well in a moment, but most of that, but then suddenly I've got to fax some stuff through about a house, and I'm just on the brink then at that point. <laughs> As I understand that, it just, that gets me. But fear has come, and, 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 and I guess the people are remembering back, see. They know what it's like to have people come against them, because they've spent 70 years under the reign of a, of a pagan king. They, they know what it feels like. And, and they're thinking, well, is it, well, we're going to press, well, we were overtaken months before. And fear builds. And it stops for 15 years. And then we pick up the story, well, in a second. Chapter 5, verse 1 of Ezra. It says, now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah prophesied to the Jews who are in Judea and Jerusalem. And there we turn to Haggai. Okay, so 15 years later, and the prophets start to speak to this people. And there's a series of four prophecies under Haggai. He, he's the first prophet uh, in this period. He's the first guy to speak prophetically to his people. Four prophecies over a 15-week period. We can look at the first one, really. And twice in the first prophecy, he says, consider your ways. 
All right? And then at the end of the prophecy, God speaks to them so that they receive something. I was so encouraged to hear Luke's words that there is something this morning that we are going to receive that will strengthen and enable us to move on and take massive ground. I think that was the word. Because that's what happens to these people. That's exactly what happens to them. So God talks to them about timing, about priorities. He squares them with reality and then he brings faithfulness, grace and the spirit of God to stir their heart back to work. Okay? So we're going to look at that. Um, Verse 1, chapter 1. In the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, on the first out of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. I love the way God begins to speak to these people. After 15 years, God has looked on. Now, I know God is not bound by time, but nonetheless, he's seen you know, human events unfolding. <laughs> and he's seen these people freed. He's, he's watched them as they walked out from Babylon, walked into the city and built for two years. And then he's watched as they've downed their tools and started to walk away. And then he's seen the stones have been laid and grass is starting to grow over it. Kids are tugging at their dad saying, what sort of stones, Dad? Well, you know. I don't know, some sort of fortified sheep pen or something, some sort of barbecue area. What's happening? God has watched this. He's watched this story unfold. Not bound by time, he's just seen it unfolding. Families that were busy at the wall, busy at the foundation. He's watched the beginnings of Levitical duties being restored and then he's watched it fall away. And the first thing he says, these people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. I think that's amazing. It's taken 15 years to say that. It's like a dad. There's not a hint of frustration there, actually. I find out it's an Old Testament God. They say it's not yet. It's like he's musing. Like God is musing, perhaps speaking to Haggai personally before Haggai prophesied, although Haggai prophesied some people. These people have not yet say it's not yet the time to rebuild. The way that God begins to deal with these people is incredible. The way that he speaks, the language that he chooses to use, he must stop them in their tracks. They're all back to their busyness of their, you know, their, their panelled houses. We'll come to that in a minute. Or full on into their decorating. And suddenly the prophet speaks. So it's not yet time to build my house. <gasps> Roll the stop, you know. Trowels. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> wow. It's, it's with such grace that God begins to speak. And God continues to speak in grace to gather a people back to the work that he called them to. How he speaks is amazing. It's so tender. It's so tender. This is a nation. This is, this is the end of the period. This is what's going to lead into the coming of Christ, the real, the real presence of God among men. This is it. This is the end of the kind of Old Testament story. And I've released you. I brought you out for this. And, and, and you, you buckled. You fell. And for 15 years, you just, you just left it. You lived around it. You got used to ruins. It's easy, isn't it? But it's so quick. I'll, I'll still I'll talk about the house that we finished building and doing in East London. <laughs> and as soon as I finish speaking, then we'll say... Well, it wasn't quite finished, was it? <laughs> and she's right. 
I just, for me, it, you know, there's, there's the walls are up. <laughs> it's finished, you know. God's looking at the foundation. They said, oh, I thought he was going to build the whole thing. And the first thing he says, they all say, it's not yet time to rebuild. God introduces this issue to this people. It's absolutely wonderful. God speaks to us like that. Well, you know that God speaks to you and me like that. All right, it's people, fickle people. We're no different. We look at that and think, 15 years, that's awful. It's terrible. We're no different. And, and we have different extremes of it. For some, we just become utterly preoccupied. Our bodies still turn up and turn out, and our minds and our hearts are, are somewhere else, dealing with this or dealing with that or preoccupied with this. For others, there's a physical kind of, I've gone. I'm not with God's people anymore. And God comes so tenderly and and begins to open up the issue. They say, it's not yet time. Kevin says, it's not yet time. It's not yet the right... Is that what he says? I think it's stunning that God should begin to raise this issue with these people in this way. He's so kind. He's so kind. It's just worth noting, it's never the right time, actually, from our end. It's never the right time to build, is it? It's too hot, it's too cold. Too, I ain't got enough money. Oh, I've got too much money, too much opportunity now. I've got time now. You know, <laughs> you know it's just too much. You know, I've just got married. It's never the right time, it's never the right time to build. There's always something. Because we don't build in a vacuum. We don't, we don't build. You know, it's not grand designs, we've got a bank, and everybody's looking on loving it. No, we face an enemy. God's kingdom, an ever-increasing kingdom, is moving and taking ground. We, it's not in a vacuum. It's never at the right time. It's never the right time, is it, from our end? There's always something. And the only thing that shifts that is what God raises, uh, what the prophet brings in verse 4. The only thing that makes it the right time is when this happens. And God says uh, in verse 4, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses while this house lies in ruins? The only thing that shifts, that makes it the right time, is if there is a shift of priority. That's the only thing. So it's like a set of scales, right? If you live your Christian life, I've got God here and I've got me here. If that's, if that's how you live, you will always live like this. And this will always become the heavier thing, and God will be light. God has to. God's expectation is the priority. It's God. God's, God's huge weight in here. This is, it's like the, it's the scales. That's how we're called to live. Is it the right time? It's not that God is, is down on building houses or settling family, by the way. You can't read the New Testament and come to that conclusion that somehow marriage and raising kids and working and earning money, all that. You can't read that and, and draw the conclusion that actually those things don't matter. It's just that they matter in a context. They matter within a priority to build my house. Is it a time for you yourself to dwell in your panelled houses? It's like dad talking to kids. So I go out and I see one of my kids. I say, is it time for you to be playing? Look at the state of washing up. You're on tonight. Kids stop cycling. Is it a time? That's how God speaks. God just get in there. Consider your ways. He says that in in those first couple of verses. Twice he says it. Consider your ways. Think. Think about it. Think about what you're doing. Is it a time? This is a father speaking to children. This is a, a father looking on to something that is passionate to him, something that is going to reflect the, the coming of his son, and he says, is it time? It's not just ours, we're now we're panning them. 
We've got tumble, 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 you know, we're, we're panelling our houses now, not just building, these are, these are grand designs now. You know, we've really gone for it, you know. <laughs> Can't build the temple, too much going on, so we're going to really go for it now. And, uh, and it speaks of that, so that's the idea there, panelled houses. Opposition has come to this people and it has forced them back into a Jeremiah 29 way of living. That's what's happened. So they lived like that for 70 years. Build your house. God freed them, said, build my house. Opposition come, they've gone back to build your own house. That's what they've done. And so that, and, and this people have, have, have returned to an exilic way of living. And what matters most is that my house is built, my kids are raised good, my marriage is quality... And I've got money in the bank and my kids go to school and get university. That's what matters most. And they're not bad things. That's the thing. They're not bad things. It's not bad to be like an ant and tuck it away. It's not bad to learn to love your wife as Christ loved the church. It's not bad things. But they're they're not the things that you aim for. My aim in life is not to have a great marriage. Do you know that? It's very important that we understand that. My aim in life is not to raise great kids. God calls me to those responsibilities within the primary calling, build my house. My wife is most fulfilled as I serve in the calling of God to build his house. And I love my wife in, within that context. If I live like Jeremiah 29, I am no different. People in your workplace will look at that thing, well, that's great, yeah. Yeah, build a house. Poor grand designs, I think that's a great idea, yeah. Yeah, oh, well, start a business and provide your family. Oh, that's a great idea. I'm getting well, I don't agree marriage, but, you know, kind of togetherness, I think that's cool. Have kids, everybody has kids. It's no different. It's no Because di- that's not what the world is doing. Look around us economically. Now, that's what the world is doing. Bring it in. You know, survival. <laughs> survival. It's no different. We're called to live differently. God says, is it a time to live? For you to live like that and look at my house. And he begins to draw their attention. They're living in exile, although they are free. And they have a mandate to build. Um, there's a generation growing up in that. 15 years they've been born. They've grown up 14-year-old. You know, and they're looking around. have no idea what they're called to. have no idea what it is God's people are supposed to do. Well, building houses. Because that's all they've seen. They see ruins and they see nice houses. They see something broken and half-built and they see wonderful, ordered lives. There's a generation grown up with that. It takes a prophet, it takes the prophet Haggai to say, hey, and God begins to speak and the way he speaks is mind-blowing. I would be ranting at my kids at this point. You know, 50, if you imagine 15 years of prayer letters from, from us in Poland, year one, year one, gathering people, bit of opposition, gathering more people, pray for us. Everyone's like, yeah, year two. Gathering a few people, a bit worried about the colour scheme. Pray for us. Year three. Not sure about the rustic plums with the autumnal greens. <laughs> Pray for us. You know, three years. You, you, you know, Steph's a friend and a faithful guy. But if he, <laughs> he wouldn't hit three years and be thinking, come on church, let's get behind him. He just wouldn't. And I wouldn't. I wouldn't last six months of that from someone. I think, well, God bless you. Oh, I'm about great work. 15 years. God is, is so faithful. God is so faithful to this people. He, he, he speaks to them 
to encourage them to change their thinking. That's amazing. Why bother changing your thinking? Would you want to change the thinking of a bunch of people who had just gone about for 15 years decorating their house while a church falls to pieces? No, God would. We wouldn't. None of us would. God is really like that. God is really like that. So you can rubbish your life for 15 years and God says, is it time? Is it the right time yet? It comes to you. Is it the right time yet? Because like that. He draws us out. Father with his children, he's drawing us out. So come with me, come on. That's what he's like. We're not an exiled people. We are not to live with the priority of Jeremiah 29 over us. We're not. We don't have a king who is defeated. We have a king on a throne. We don't have... So we're not in exile. We're not not living like... We're not called to live like that. I'm not saying that we don't learn from Jeremiah 29 and and I'm not weird about, you know, it's not a pioneering passage, you know, it's a a, a, a maintaining passage, so I don't read that passage. I don't like that. You know, there's wisdom in that for us and for anybody that moves, there's wisdom in it. But it's not my aim. God said, build my house. God said, build my house. Jesus said, go and make. Go and make. That's it. I, I live this life under that umbrella. Yeah, that, that's it. I've not got another aim. That's not because I'm all passionate and faithful. It's just it. It's, it's just what it says. Don't say nothing else. You don't say Kevin live for this or live for that any longer. It doesn't say Kevin maintain and play it safe. It doesn't say that. Jeremiah 29, yes. But not now because my king is on his throne and he rules with everything under his feet, everything made by him and for him and through him. That's what it is now. To live like an ex-old man is to live foolishly and to live wrong. It's not appropriate any longer to make that my aim. Do you understand? And that's what God is starting to stir in these people. But so kindly, and not with the, the thing that I was just there, but so kindly, just with a question. Just a question. Jesus expresses exactly the same priorities. So, in Matthew 6, when Jesus says, uh, don't be anxious about your life. Don't worry about your life. He's expressing the same idea. It's priorities. Kevin worries about his house. Don't be worried about your house. Don't <laughs> worries about his money. Don't worry about money. You know, don't, don't be anxious about it. And then he goes on to talk about, I don't know if I've done this before you guys, but he goes on to talk about the birds. Doesn't he? And the flowers. You know, flowers are beautiful. Kevin, don't worry about your daughters and when they marry. <laughs> Oh, that was it. <laughs> Don't worry about what they... They'll be beautiful. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. All the moments go, Don't worry about it, Kevin. That's what Jesus says. Is it a time for you, Kevin, to worry about it and give attention to it and live for it? Play it safe? Is it a time? No, it's not. God doesn't even ask the question. He just asks it. Beautiful. It just opens up my thinking. Oh, is it? Oh, I don't think so, no. <laughs> Jesus says the same thing. And at the end of that chapter, uh, that, that, that section of scripture, he says, um, what do you say? He says this. Don't be, oh, he says, uh, 
uh, seek first the kingdom of God. He's saying the same thing. Build your house, build my house. Don't worry about that, build this. Put this first. It's, it's about that. It's about that, 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 that ultimate calling upon us as God's people. So we're all called to it. I've no time for people who big up missionaries and sort of kind of things over there and things here and so on. It's nonsense. We give our time to the thing that God has called us to do. Build my house. Be it here, be it there, be it anywhere. Build my house. Live to that end. Right? Make the, live your life to that end. That, that, that's what we're called to do and to be. Nothing less. It's not special. It's not for special people. The leaders folded. So did the people. It's not for, it's not for, for special people. It's for all people. What called to that? I spent um, I spent my summer uh, just well. I, I we're housing yeah, Natalie and others know. But we're housing thing. It's just kind of up in the air. I don't know what's going on with that. And um, I've joked about it and all that. And I'd usually cover up anxiety with jokes. That's tend to be what I do. And so all summer. I've, I've, I've scrutinised the internet. And I don't call it worrying, I call it strategising. I'm strategically serving my family by solving a problem. We don't know where we're going to live, so I, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm doing. And, and, and I, I get more and more ridiculous. See, so I'm looking at things, half oh, of that, half of that. And I start to look at things we can afford. Caves. <laughs> Fields. I start to, and I'm genuine about it. See, this is the thing, I'm genuinely looking at that and thinking... I think we can make that work, though. You know, I, I really am. You know, just some str- some strategic lighting, some soft furnishings around those cold walls. We, you know, I'm really seriously thinking I, 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 we can do that. <laughs> and and it's taken me weeks of doing that to come to the point. We went to look at a house, and I'm thinking we could do this. I'm looking at thinking the whole thing needs stripping out. And we're not we're not after palaces. So we just want to say live in. But the whole thing, it's just falling apart. It's really cheap, though. You know, I'm drawn to the it's really cheap bit. Yeah. That's it. But even though it's really cheap, I can't afford it. I'm trying to kind of air my, my, my dirty washing machine. But it's just, I'm just an example. But it's just, I, 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 I kind of, I wrap it up. And it preoccupies me. And I thought more about that problem than anything else. I've spent more time on that than I have about any sort of praying. Emma's prayed more about it. I've strategised for hours on the internet. And I've come to the conclusion, I can't sort it out. And then I come to the conclusion, so stop worrying about it, do what you can do, and leave it. Kevin, build the church. Kevin, play your part. That's it. That's it. And, and Jesus says the same thing. It's a life thing. It's the way that we live our lives. The whole world is falling apart because their pension funds have, have, have just disintegrated. Jesus says, it's not very wise, is it? It's not what you'd expect from a financial advisor, is it? <laughs> well, don't be anxious about that. Jesus says, don't be anxious about it. Build the church and as you give weight to God, as you seek him first, these things just kind of get lighter. They're still there and there's still decisions to be taken, but they're not the, the preoccupation, they're not the thing that's consuming me and therefore rendering me powerless to serve in what God's called me to do. Jesus says that. Well, shall I say on that? I, I, think, um, I, think, I think periods of change are vulnerable. I think, I've noticed that myself over this year. Whenever change comes, I move into kind of sort it out mode. 
and it's right, you obviously give time for things, but, but I've, I've seen, noticed that myself, that I just, I get a bit overly sort it out mode, and it takes away any capacity to do the other things, like, you know, build my house, <laughs> pray, look after your family, pray for those that God's given you, you know, all of that kind of takes a back, back seat. And, and I've noticed in myself that periods of change are like that. Um, I'll just say these things. Um, and I hopefully just sort of say it with a good spirit. But I, I just uh, not feel like I'm singing it out. But finishing uni, I think, can be like that. Don't, don't be the person that finishes uni and then just does the automatic thing of go. Go because God has called you to go. I won't just say that without being, you know, kind of foolish. I'm not a sort of guy who just says, oh, just evangelism. I don't believe that. I believe you build your life in God with wisdom. I believe that. But I also believe that God calls me, points times and places where I'm to live. Don't be someone who responds simply to circumstances and to what am I going to do? Oh, I better go there. Don't be like that. Don't be like, what's God called you to do? And allow the weight of that to affect your decisions and your thinking. I think in having kids, getting married to time as well. It's so expensive living in London. I mean, just I'll talk about housing. Man, I love. I'm looking at. I live in a palace compared to most of you guys because of the difference in housing in, in Gdansk. So I, I, I'm not unaware. I've been in London for ten years. But just the whole issue of do I stay? And the church I was in in, in East London just saw saw people had their kids and, and they just they weren't called away. They left. They left because they couldn't imagine themselves raising their kids in the inner city. They just couldn't see it. And and there's a point which you have to stop kind of talking about it with people because people can stay with faith. If they've got faith, then I don't quite know what you do really. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's got to, it's got to be something in you to, to want to do that. For some it's right to go because they're called away. For others they go because they just, I can't see it happening. I'm just a bit, I don't know, it's not right. And family comes in. Family will always agree with that mostly, unless they're really great godly parents. But mostly I say, oh, no, I, think, I think you're right. I think move out of London. That's a very wise decision. You know. <laughs> Yeah, it's very good. It'd be great for the kids, you know, clean air, you know, less crime, bigger houses and all that. I'll just, just, just urge you, those moments of change in your life, just, let, this, this is the directive for our, for our lives. It's the way that we keep coming back to this. Uh, scales are tipped. Scales are tipped. God's house. Yeah. It's always. Yeah. Everything takes its, its line, its position from that. It's God's house. So God, where? Where do I build? That's a good question. Uni's done. Where do I build? Not, there's only one job. So unless you speak, I'm going to tell Where? No, call me, God. Lead me on, God, because I'm a builder. Because you freed me to build. You haven't freed me just to build my life. You've called me to play my part, see your kingdom come, ever increasing in this earth. That's what I'm called to do. And, 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 and I just want to urge that. I was shouting. Sorry, I'll stop shouting. <laughs> oh, sorry. Told you. I to with Ben's, Benzy boy. Um... But just, and, and with, with kids, you know, we would have stayed in London but for Poland. We, man, what a great place. What a great place. What a great place to make a difference. And I'm not a sort of guy who's down on small places and up on big, but I don't believe in that competitive thing. But what a great place. Great privilege. And, um, I, and I would just urge you, in those moments of change, look, look to the, what you're called to firstly and then go from that. Um, right, last, last, oh my days, last couple of things. 
Um, then, no, third, points? Have I got points? Yes, I have. Third point, <laughs> reality. God just squares them with some reality. So he asks them those two questions. Is it time to build? Is it time for you to live in your house? And then verses 6 to 11 just squares them up with the reality. You've sown such a lot. You haven't harvested very much, verse 6. You eat, but you're always hungry. You drink, but you're always thirsty, God says. You clothe yourselves. You're never warm. You earn money, and then you put it in a whole bag into a bank or a pension fund. You put it in there. And it goes. You expected so much, it comes to nothing, verse 9. You bring home, but you're not fulfilled. That's the point. God says, God's answer, build my house. Build my house. That's the answer. The answer is not rein it in. The answer isn't save more. The answer isn't take three jobs because you're panicking about a mortgage. The answer is, firstly, first of all, called build my house. That's what he says. Verse 9. Build it. That's what he says. Uh, one, a guy who I massively respect. He's massively instrumental in me being saved. And he's walked with God pretty faithfully all his life. Really, really faithfully. And he's just filled in, finished completely doing his house. And he's not done it out of selfish. He's served God and he's played his part in the church and all of that. But he said, I just noted the other day, I had a Skype conversation with him and he said, um, he said, oh, I've done that now. He said, um, I'm a bit frustrated, a bit bored. And it's not that he's been ungodly in what he's done. But I just noted, there's another, just learn that, Kev, because I get excited about houses and all of the you know, building that. But it doesn't fulfill. God says, you're not fulfilled. It won't fulfill, it won't satisfy in the way that I've called you to be satisfied by, by building my house. And then, just briefly, man, um, th- then it says uh, in verse 12, the leaders um, and the people, they responded. And it says in verse 12, they obeyed, they yielded to, that's the sense of the word, they yielded to. Obedience can have this kind of rigid thing, but they yielded. Why did they yield? Because God spoke so beautifully to them. God spoke so tenderly. They yield. You can't, you can't resist that. What a horrible God. Oh, he starts, he asks me questions. He draws me. <laughs> and, they, and I yield to it because he speaks so beautifully and lovingly to me. And they yield, it says. That's the sense of the word. And then it says they feared him. And the, and the sense of that word is they revered. Suddenly, suddenly the scales dipped. Whoa. The, oh, my God, is great. That's what it means. That's what that was the fruit of this prophet's uh, words to these people. All came upon this people. And then this, verse 13. Then Hagar, the messenger, all spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you. Right? Verse 13. And this, this is it. I'll, I'll, if you hear nothing else this morning, I am with you. That's amazing. And I just, I just I can't get over it enough that for 15 years, God looks on. I would be looking elsewhere. I absolutely would. You'd brought them out. I mean, this, we look at this as, as the city and the temple and all that, that like, brought identity to this people. But this is God's. This is God's name. The rest of the nations are looking on saying, do you want a hand? <laughs> if you're God, he needs a bit of help there, don't he? You know, this is God's name. Oh, God of Isaac, uh, Isaac, God of Abraham, God of the God of the ruins, God of the half-built thing. God's looking on, and His response is, "I'm with you. I am with you. I choose no one else." Do you understand that? I'm with you. It should. It blows us away because we are fickle, 
and we either, we either shift in our heart, and we all do that, don't be deceived. And on that point, we all shift. We become preoccupied, and for others, it's a more extreme shifting, and we find ourselves in a wilderness, up to our ears. God says the same thing to the same thing. Oh, I'm with you. Drawing you, drawing you back. See it? He's going nowhere else. He's going there. He's covenanted. In his son, he's covenanted with you and I. I will go nowhere else. I will look nowhere else to express my everlasting love. You can't increase it. It can't go. It's everlasting. Everlasting means it's, it, it's everlasting. It just keeps going on. It don't get better. It don't get worse. You can't improve it. You can't decrease it. And what you read here is the everlasting love of a father. If a human father would be just embarrassed, frustrated, fed up, but not our God. Mm-hmm. Not our God. I'm with you. Before the nations. Before the nations looking on the Samaritans and the Assyrians. Hey, you didn't have our help, did you? Look at it. Should have, should have took our help. We'd have had it done half the time. <laughs> <laughs> our God says, I'm with you. I go nowhere else. You must hear that, friends. You, 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 it must be in you for your life. Those two things. Build my house, I am with you. God will not look elsewhere. You can run for decades. You know that. You can run for decades. You can build palace after palace after palace. If God has drawn you by grace to his son, he comes to you day by day. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's what he's like. And then the fruit of that, the fruit of that, it says the Lord stirred up the spirit of the leaders and the spirit of all the remnant of the people and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. You know it's a heart thing, don't you? You know it's a heart thing. You know that God's not, he doesn't need builders. You know that, don't you? You know that we're not special in that way? He doesn't need us in that way. What he's after is your heart. I'm so glad that the people didn't just hear the prophet. Is it time to build? No, it's not. Let's get back to work. I, 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 can, I can identify with that idea. Is it time to build? No, I feel bad. I feel get back to work. I'm so glad the people waited. I'm so glad God kept speaking. I'm so glad they yielded. And then they heard, I'm with you. And it said they stirred their heart for this. It's a heart thing. It's a spirit. It's an internal thing. God don't just want workers. He wants your heart. And that's why he speaks as he does. If he wants workers, he says, go and build my house. I've, I start, I've, you know, people say, do not be anxious. Jesus says, do not be anxious. I often start thinking, well, I don't want this. It's a commandment. And I, and I kind of know that Jesus says, do not be. I know it's there. But I struggle with do not be anxious because I've kind of, damn. The bit I love is the bit that comes after. The little bit of illustration. I think, oh, yeah, all birds, all flats. I think, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it can win my heart. God persuades me. He didn't just tell me, be a builder. No. Stay, listen, receive. Allow your heart to be stirred. Because that's what God's after. That's what he's after. And that's what these people received. And their response was to go and build. This is a, just a grace word, really, to us. There's a teaching in it about these people started and then they stopped. I think life starts and I stop and I start and I stop my way through life. I think that's true. I don't think I'm on a trajectory of, 
in that, in, in, I know I'm being one degree of glory to another, I know that, but in my ups and my downs, I think we are common in that. In our life, we go up and we go down. And it's a teaching to us. Keep, look, keep tipping the scales, keep returning to what God's called you to and me. But it's a grace word. And I, I feel like for some, there's specifically God, as we come through the airport yesterday, reclaim your baggage. He just leapt out at me. And I feel for some this morning, God would say, I want you to reclaim. Reclaim something this morning. You're going to get something back. You're going to receive something this morning. And I was encouraged by Luke's word. All right, there's an equipping for things to come. So I'm just going to pray. And uh, is that all right? And then, and then just see how the Holy Spirit leads it. Okay. <laughs>